Let's now turn to Scripture, to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 12. This morning we'll be looking at God's Word in 1 Kings chapter 18. And in preparation for that, we'll read the first 12 verses of Luke 12. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the ear and in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. Now when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So far, the reading from the New Testament, our text this morning is, comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. Let's read that together, 1 Kings 18, verse 1 to 19. So if you were here last week, you'll remember that we looked at 1 Kings 17, when Elijah proclaimed a drought, and then he left Israel. He went to Sidon, to Zarephath, to the widow there. Now we read in 1 Kings 18. And it come to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken one hundred prophets and hidden them fifty to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grasp to keep the horses and mules alive, so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. Now as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is that you, my lord Elijah? 
And he answered him, It is I. Go, tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go, tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I am gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go, tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives, Before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 of prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So far God's holy word. And the title for the sermon this morning is that Yahweh strengthens his servants to confess him confess his name because brothers and sisters i'm i wonder if you've ever been afraid to say that you're a christian is there a time that you can think of where you've avoided talking about your faith maybe you have friends who don't even know that you come to church on sunday or perhaps in the in the parking lot after church you avoid talking about your love for jesus and you prefer to talk about the latest baseball game or the bushfires in bc Well, I remember a specific time in my life when I was scared to talk about my faith. In my first year of university, I took some biology classes, and I loved learning about the intricacies of God's creation and looking at the complexity of life under the microscope. But in that class, the thought that God made everything, the thought that God was the author of that intricacy and complexity of life, that thought was laughed at. And so I was scared. I never said anything about my faith. Even when the professor laughed at Bible-believing Christians, I didn't say a word. I was too scared to to confess that I believed in the all-powerful creator of heaven and earth. And I wonder if you've had similar experiences. Sometimes we're scared to talk about our faith, aren't we? Well, 1 Kings 18 this morning shows us a man who was also scared to confess his faith, the man Obadiah. But in this chapter, we see more than just this man, Obadiah. We see the Lord. We see Yahweh, a God who strengthens his servants so that they can confess his name. And it's my prayer that as we look at 1 Kings 18 this morning, we will be also strengthened to confess 
the name of our God. Because he is a God that we do not need to be ashamed of. In fact, quite the opposite is true. Because the Lord, he reveals that he is a God of grace. A God who comes back to his people after they've sinned, even when they have not repented. We see that already in verse 1 of our text. That after many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. It was time to come back for Elijah. We saw last week that he made his lightning appearance to Ahab. He announced the drought, and then he disappeared for a few years. But now God is coming back to his people, and he's going to bring rain The drought of rain would end, but not only that, the drought of God's word would end. Because Elijah, the man who brought the word of God, was coming back. And so as he came back, what would he find in Israel? I remember the time that I went back to Australia after I'd been gone for a year. My family was all waiting for me at the airport, and and I remember just the shock that I felt when I saw my youngest sister. Because my youngest sister had grown a full head taller in the year that I'd been gone. Some things you just don't see on video camera. But there are some things that are very different after you've been gone a long time when you come back. So what do you think Elijah found when he came back to Israel after three years? What was the spiritual thermometer reading? What sort of Israel would Elijah return to? Well, verse 2 says that the famine was very severe. Several years of famine has had a devastating effect in Israel. The crops haven't grown. They've been struggling to feed their livestock. They've been struggling to water their cows and their goats. And it's likely that even the people themselves were starving. They weren't getting enough food. In this situation, it should have led Ahab and Israel to repent. This lack of rain, the drought, it should have been a serious red flag, warning Israel that something was wrong in their service of God. As an example of how this red flag should have worked, this is how King David saw the famine a few years, a famine that happened some generations earlier. Read about that famine in 2 Samuel 21. There was a famine for three years. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? But what did David do when there was a famine? He inquired of the Lord, and then the Lord told him that there was an outstanding crime from King Saul that hadn't yet been dealt with justly. So David's response to the famine was to turn to God because he knew that it was Yahweh withholding the rain, withholding that covenant blessing from his people. He understood the true cause of the drought. And so drought was a serious red flag in the Old Testament showing that something was wrong in Israel's service to God. Ahab should have known that. He should have turned to God and repented. But instead we see the opposite happening. We see Ahab hardening himself in sin. Instead of turning to Yahweh in repentance and acknowledging the true source of the drought, he denied his sin and he used his own resources to try and sustain his life. Well, how did he do that? We read in verse 3 that he called for Obadiah. Obadiah was his top man, his prime minister. And Ahab wanted to get in this last-ditch effort to save his horses and cows. Now, horses were really important for, for the king because the horses were his army. And this is what Ahab cares about. 
He cares about his army, his personal security. He was out to save his own skin, not even the starving people under his care. He wanted to save his horses because that was his army, but he also wanted to avoid killing cows or livestock. It's very interesting that the Hebrew word for killing the cows is the same word used in verse 4 of Jezebel slaughtering the Lord's prophets. There's a deliberate contrast here. Ahab and Jezebel killed the prophets of Yahweh, but they wanted to save cows. They valued the economy more than prophecy. God's word didn't matter. What mattered was their bank balance. Well, this is the Israel that Elijah comes back to. A country that values the economy, that values national security above the word of God, the word of the God who had given them their land. It's foolish, isn't it? It's foolish to reject God's word. Because God had promised blessing. He'd promised rain when his people trusted his word and listened to his prophets. But Ahab rejected this promise. He tried his own way, desperately looking for the last drops of water in his kingdom. Rather than humbling himself before the God of heaven, the God of rain, the God of covenant blessing, Ahab didn't want to pay the price of repentance. And so this is the reading of the spiritual thermometer of Ahab, a hardening in sin. He didn't want to admit that the famine was because of his unfaithfulness. He didn't want to admit that he was wrong. Well, that's the nature of sin, isn't it? By nature, we don't want to admit that we're wrong. Instead, Ahab was more concerned about his army, his economy. We see here that desire gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So how is your spiritual thermometer? Are you willing to admit you're wrong? Beware the danger of sin, brothers and sisters. Because sin is deceitful. By nature, it blinds us. Instead of turning to the God of rain, naturally, we try and forge our own way, looking in the desert for the last drops of water. We naturally want to harden ourselves in sin. So admit your sin before God and turn to Him. Turn to Him who is the God of rain, the God of every spiritual blessing. So if you see the spiritual thermometer in Israel, it doesn't look good, does it? The drought didn't lead to repentance, it only led to a hardening in sin. And this was the Israel that Elijah came back to. But there's more to the story. Because you read about this man, Obadiah, in verse 3. Obadiah was a man who feared the Lord greatly. And this is really important, we really need to remember this. He was a true Christian. There are still faithful believers in Israel. And Obadiah's faith wasn't wasn't just an empty confession either. His faith was matched by his deeds. He'd kept a hundred prophets alive. God used Obadiah as his servant to keep them alive and to sustain them, just as he sustained Elijah with ravens, just as he sustained Elijah with the widow in Sidon. Isn't this a, a beautiful picture of how God is working? It's actually quite ironic, because Ahab and Jezebel were trying to eradicate the worship of Yahweh, But God used Obadiah, through Obadiah, used their very own resources to provide for his people. Obadiah used the king's bread and water to subvert King Ahab's purpose and to accomplish the purpose of the ultimate king. Ahab and Jezebel closed the front door, but God was already working through the back door. 
Even though the spiritual thermometer in Israel was not good, Yahweh still had people there. He was still working. And you cannot subvert Yahweh's purposes. And this is true today as well. That no matter how things look in the world, God will preserve his church. We'll hear more about that this afternoon. If the front door closes, God works through the back door. But we see that in his grace, God does even more than working through the back door. God will, he also returns to them with the announcement of rain. Elijah is coming. Do you hear the raindrops of God's mercy? But isn't it interesting that Elijah doesn't go straight to Ahab? He first meets this man, Obadiah. It almost seems as if his mission to Ahab is interrupted. First he meets Obadiah. But this encounter, brothers and sisters, is not an interruption. Because God wants to use this man, Obadiah. Obadiah means servant of Yahweh. Obadiah is a true believer in Israel. And God wants to use him just like he wants to use you and me. Because we are all servants of Yahweh. We are all servants of the highest king. We may not be an Elijah, declaring, powerfully declaring the word of the Lord before Ahab. But Obadiah wasn't called to the same task as Elijah either. But God still wants to use him, just as he wants to use you this morning. He wants to use you to be faithful to him. He wants to use you to be a shining light of his grace and to confess his name wherever it is that he has called you. And so there's a very important reason for this encounter between Elijah and Obadiah. So we read that Elijah says to Obadiah, he says, Hey, it's me, I'm back. Go tell Ahab I'm here. Now we need to just pause for a second and realize what Elijah's asking. Because he's asking more than for Obadiah to simply announce his visit to Ahab. He's asking Obadiah to declare his allegiance Because by announcing Elijah's appearance, Obadiah would be bringing his Christianity out into the open. He would have to stop hiding his belief. He would have to publicly stand up for his faith. Maybe you can think of moments like that. Those fork in the road moments where you have to either speak up for your faith or keep hiding it. Like when my biology professor laughed at the idea of a God who created the world. Or when someone flippantly uses God's name in a conversation. Those moments, those fork in the road moments, do you publicly declare your allegiance to Yahweh? Do you publicly confess the name of Christ or do you keep hiding? Well, Obadiah, for one, is scared. He says three times in his reply, he says, Ahab's going to kill me if I do that. He even swears an oath and then he protests. Obadiah says, don't you know what has happened since you've been gone, Elijah? Don't you know how much of a wanted man you are? Don't you know how much of a price is on your head? Elijah, don't you realize what is going to happen to me? And knowing your track track record, Elijah, you're just going to be whisked away by the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to end up looking like a fraud. And even worse, when Ahab can't find you, he's going to kill me. And really, Elijah... Haven't I done enough for Yahweh already? I've always served him since I was a boy. Haven't you heard about the risk that I took to save those prophets from Jezebel? Why should I risk my life again? I've already done enough for Yahweh. Obadiah 
Obadiah fears his life. He's afraid to confess Yahweh. He's afraid to publicly declare his allegiance to the living God. Maybe you've experienced an Obadiah moment as well. Maybe you've thought like Obadiah before Elijah, like me in the biology classroom, that it was too costly to confess Christ. Too costly to openly declare your allegiance to Jesus. Maybe you think, what are people going to think about me if, I, if they know that I believe in Jesus? I can't tell that person because he's too hostile. He's too much like Ahab. He's too far rejected God's word. Or maybe like Obadiah, you confess Christ when you're at church. You confess Christ when you're among your Christian friends or when you're at home with your family. And in your heart, you certainly believe in Jesus. But then there are just certain times when you're afraid. Certain people you're afraid to talk about your faith to. Certain places you'd rather not advertise you're a Christian. What Jesus says to us, he says to Obadiah, he says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever loses his earthly honor, his earthly life because he confesses me, then he will find life. Obadiah, my servant, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. And because we have such a Father in heaven, we do not need to worry. Luke 12, do not fear those who kill the body, but after that can do nothing. But I will show you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And yes, confessing Christ may mean losing our life. There is a cost. Confessing Jesus as our Savior means we can expect to be taunted. We can expect to be laughed at in a biology classroom or a philosophy classroom. There are countries today where confessing Christ can mean losing your life. It can mean being arrested or being shunned by your family or your community. Our society in Canada now, right now, it allows us to confess Christ much more easily and much more freely. But how do we use this freedom? God's word asks you this morning, are you afraid to confess Christ? Are you afraid to place your entire confidence in Him, to trust Him with your honor, your reputation, and your very life? Well, Obadiah was afraid, and sometimes we're afraid too, aren't we? So let's have a look at Elijah's response. Elijah's response in verse 15. How does Elijah respond to Obadiah's protest, his fear? Elijah responds by showing him that he doesn't need to be afraid. He doesn't need to be afraid because by declaring his allegiance to Yahweh, he is declaring his allegiance to the King of Heaven, to the God who controls everything, the God who rides above the clouds, who controls everything from the rain clouds to the royal throne of Ahab and everything in between. And further, he doesn't need to be afraid because the word that he is commanded to bring to Ahab will come true. So Elijah, he swears an oath by the Lord of hosts, by Yahweh Sabaoth, verse 15, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. The Lord of hosts, that is the Lord of armies, the one who leads all of heaven's forces, the almighty one, the one who has power over Samaria and Sidon, 
who has power over drought and over rain. Elijah reminds Obadiah that this God is on his side. To confess Yahweh is to believe that this almighty king is on your side. You don't need to be afraid, Obadiah. The same is true for us. To confess Jesus as Lord is to acknowledge that he is Lord over everything, even over this tent. He is the one who sits at his father's right hand. The father has given all the nations into his hand. He is able to shatter the nations like pottery, just like this glass, as we saw a couple weeks ago from Lord's Day 19. Jesus Christ, Lord of heaven and earth, Lord Sabaoth, his name. He is the man of God's own choosing. He is the man on our side. We don't need to be afraid. And further, we don't need to be afraid because God's spirit always accompanies his word. Elijah says, today I will present myself to Ahab. Obadiah didn't need to be afraid that the spirit would whisk him away somewhere. He had been told to announce Elijah's appearance. That was the word of the Lord. And God's spirit never contradicts his word. The Lord is true to his word. His spirit works through his word. And this further revelation, it confirms that. That's why Jesus also said to his disciples in Luke 12, when they bring you to synagogues or before the rulers of this earth, you don't have to worry about what you say because the Holy Spirit will teach you in that hour what you shall say. The Spirit doesn't contradict the Word, but He works through the Word of God. He works with the Word. So, brothers and sisters, when we confess Christ, the Spirit will equip us. The Spirit will not work against us, but He will use our words as we confess the truth of God's Word. God's Spirit does not contradict His Word. So how does Obadiah react? The result of Elijah's oath is that Obadiah becomes equipped. He is strengthened to go to Ahab. Verse 16 says that Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Even despite all that protesting he'd done before, now he goes. Obadiah went and told him, and then the word of the Lord strengthened Obadiah so that he could overcome his fear. And today, God's word also strengthens us to overcome our fear. God's word, it gives us the courage to declare our allegiance to him who is the God of heaven and earth. And so with this meeting between Elijah and Obadiah, now the stage is set for that great encounter between Ahab and Elijah. Obadiah, God has used Obadiah as an instrument. And he's also taught us a lesson in the meantime. And now the great confrontation begins. Elijah has met Ahab after three years of drought, three years of absence. And Ahab's first words to Elijah just show us again how much he's hardened his heart. Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Ahab blames Elijah as if the drought was all his fault. And by blaming Elijah, who is the prophet of Yahweh, he's essentially pointing the finger at God. It shows how much Ahab's hardened his heart. But Elijah tells him that he has it all backwards. Because the problem is not God, the problem is Ahab. The problem is not Elijah, it is Ahab's rejection of Yahweh's word. Because God's word is truth. God's word brings life. And God is going to prove that beyond all doubt. 
He's going to prove for everyone to see that he is God, that his word is true, that he is the one who gives life, that he is mighty over all things and Baal has no power at all. He is the God who rules Samaria, Sidon. He is the God who rides above the clouds. He controls them. He is the one who gives rain, who gives covenant blessings to his people. And so Elijah comes to announce rain, even though Ahab hadn't repented, because God still had faithful believers in Israel, and he still continues to bless his people. He would return with rain. What a picture of his grace. We read in the New Testament that he has come to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is the greater prophet, came bringing words of salvation. He was also rejected. And yet, remember what he cried out on the cross. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Can you hear the raindrops of God's mercy? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He extends his grace through Jesus Christ so that he can give us his covenant blessing. He can give us rain. He can give us eternal life. Do you hear the raindrops? Well, friends, how will you respond to God's grace? Such amazing grace. How does this leave you? Does it leave you cold or unaffected? Is the name of Jesus, is that a name that you despise like Ahab? Or is it a name that you are scared to confess, a name you're scared to stand up for? Or is the name of Jesus so sweet to you, so beautiful, because you believe that he is your savior, that you confess him to all men, wherever you have, he has placed you in whatever calling of life he has put you in? How do you respond to the covenant blessings God gives? To the God who gives rain in abundance. He gives covenant blessing when we don't deserve it. Eternal life and a secure future with Him. As we conclude, brothers and sisters, we're reminded that Yahweh strengthens His servants to confess His name, the name which is above all names. And if there's any doubt in your mind about the sovereignty of Yahweh, then keep reading the chapter, 1 Kings 18, or even better, come back next week to hear about the great showdown between Baal and Yahweh. Baal cannot bring rain. But Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth, His word is true. He gives rain in abundance. And He even equips His servants to confess that word. He, confessed, he equips you, servant of the Lord, Obadiah, to confess His name wherever and whatever situation He has placed you in, where He has called you to serve. And he also equips you with his Holy Spirit to work through you, to help you work faithfully wherever he has placed you. We may not be an Elijah, but God calls all of us this morning to be his servants, to be an Obadiah, to confess his name before men and to faithfully shine the light of his word wherever he has placed you. So let's confess his name, the name above all names, the name that will endure forever, that will never rot out in the history books, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. To Him be all the glory and praise. Amen.